Genesis 21, if you have a Bible, please open uh, with us, Genesis uh, 21. It's been a little while since we were in Genesis, but we resume our studies there. Genesis 21, this is God's Word. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him, and when the son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave girl and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and, and sat down nearby, about a, a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God, that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. 
Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech said, uh, asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. And we thank God again for this, his word. Um, and we pray that he will speak to us very clearly from the word. So let's pray. Father, in this evening hour, we need your help to understand what your word has to say to us. And we pray that we will not hear the theories of man, but the word of God. And that you will speak very clearly uh, into our lives. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for the promise of your spirit, and thank you for your word. Uh, open up our hearts, we pray, to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been tracking with us um, in the studies from Genesis 12 onwards, you, you know that God gave Abram, as he was then called, a sevenfold blessing in Genesis 12. And you remember that the two key component parts of that were a, a land and a, a child, a son. A land and a son. And from the time of Genesis 12 to the time of Genesis 21, we have a dramatic story of the ups and downs and how these promises of God were constantly attacked and threatened. Now, sometimes it simply was the foolish sins of Abram and Sarai and Lot. Other times, it was the wicked sin of society. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember the Eastern kings? But the promises that God made, the promises that God intended to keep were always under attack. And we're going to see that again and again and again. God's promises, always under attack. The world and the flesh and the devil will make sure that that happens. But in chapter 21, at last... After all the years, after all the frustrations, after all the disappointments, Isaac is born. So the child part of the promise becomes real. But is that what chapter 21 of Genesis is all about? Well, if you got an NIV or an ESV in front of you, you can see that there's three section headings in the chapter. And the first one, both of them, ESV and NIV, say the birth of Isaac. And we might ask the question, is that what that section is uh, all about? I mean, who is the key figure of chapter 21 of Genesis? I mean, is it Isaac? Is he the, the main character, the focus? 
Or, or what about Abraham or Sarah or Hagar or Ishmael or Abimelech? What's chapter 21 all about? Now, I, I hope you can even guess by the way I'm asking the question that none of these people are the focus of chapter 21. The key figure again is God. It always is, you see. And we always have to remember that. We need to have our eyes open. We need to have our minds engaged to see how God is operating, how God is working. Now, sometimes this is harder. I, I, I know because in the sovereign and providential um, care of God, sometimes it can be hidden, sometimes it can be disguised, but certainly not here. You'll notice in verse 1, for instance, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the time, the very time God had promised him. Verse 4, verse 6, in fact, 12 times up to verse 21, we see God at work. What we often say and what we need to be reminded of is that the purpose of the Word of God is to reveal the God of the Word. The purpose of the Word of God is to reveal the God of the Word. And as we read and study the text of Scripture, we need to be looking for the activity of God wherever we can because we need a biblical worldview. We, we need a God-centered worldview. His purposes, you know, his ordering of events, his control, his grace, his salvation, his judgment, his mercy, his love, his truth, the way he opens doors, the way he closes doors, the way he gives, the way he takes. It's all about him. And it's always all about him. And we can't ever forget that. There's never, ever, ever someone more important than God. Not Isaac, not Abraham, not Hagar, not Ishmael, but God is the hero and the focus. Now, many of the books that we as a staff have been using, Jeff and I particularly have been using, um, are very, very helpful commentaries on, on Genesis, but the one that I find particularly helpful in chapter 21 is a little book by Dale Ralph Davis, DRD, as he is affectionately known as. Um, and um, for this chapter, he was absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to use a form of his headings uh, to help us steer away through the passage. And, and the first thing we want to say in that section one to seven is the promises, the, basically the promises of God. And that word you'll notice is used twice in verse 1 and in verse 2. But the thing that should really strike us is the focus is not upon the long-expected baby. Actually, after all the ups and downs, after all the waiting, and after all the disappointments, it's a kind of anticlimax, isn't it? Just the, the, Isaac was born, basically. Now today, if you're a granny and a granddad... You want videos and photographs every single day, or is that just Pauline and me? I don't know. We want a picture of this outfit, and the next one, and the third one. We can't get enough. We want all the deets, you know? 
But here in, in Genesis 21, it's really not a story of a cute little baby. The story's not really about a hard labor, whether we don't even know if it was hard or not. The story is about God keeping his promises. It's about a story of God's seemingly impossible promises coming true. It's a story of God's sovereign promises coming in the flesh of a little boy. You see, the focus is on God and him keeping his promises. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Yahweh made and kept his promises. There is absolutely no other explanation for the birth of Isaac to an old man and to an old woman but God and his miracle and his promise. Yahweh gives life. He is life. He creates life. Listen to this. He conceives, he conceives each and every child. And that's why each and every child is precious, made in his image, created by his will. And that's why abortion in any situation, in any form, is murder. Because it is killing it is killing what God has created. I've thought long and hard about what I say next. I hope I'm right, but if ever there was proof of how Satan has deceived a nation like ours, if there's proof needed of how Satan has deceived many nations, surely it's the subject of abortion. How Intelligent people can agree to the murder of millions of babies. But no matter what laws our deceived politicians pass, no matter what pressures we are put under, we're not going to go away. And we're not going to shut up. We'll keep on praying for and spreading the support of the unborn child. We will speak up for the unborn child. But we see there in verse 2 that God has a plan and a purpose. We're not talking here about a mistake. Not, not talking here about luck or chance. Perfect timing at the very time God had promised him. The perfect ordering of events. Now that's a lesson we need to Learn again and again and again, and we are slow, are we not? We're slow to learn these lessons because all we think about is now and here. But we need to learn that He is ordering events in His perfect timing, and that can be very painful, can't it? it for you, it may be on the issue of having a family. Perhaps. It may be about marriage. Will God give me a spouse? Or it could be what I do 
about study or after study or what job should I apply for or what about my health or even death? God's timing is utterly perfect. He's in control of the numbers of our days. And that's not just for Sarah and Abraham in one isolated incident all those centuries ago. It's for me and you. And we need to trust. And we need to be patient. And we need to wait. But God is the God of the miraculous. In verses 3 and 4, we see two acts of obedience. In verse 3, we see that Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him, as he was told. Verse 4, we see that Abraham circumcised um, his son of eight days old as God commanded him. There's so much we could say about both these things, but you know, Isaac received the sign of the covenant people of God. Yes, of course, it pointed to the necessary heart circumcision, the heart change, the born-again experience and salvation that he would require in the timing of God, but it was also a physical sign of belonging to the covenant people of God, just like baptism. Now, I know not everybody here tonight will agree with what we, how we baptize or why we baptize the infants of believers, but let me encourage you to think about the reasons why we do, and here's one of them. God's people always include the children of God's people. And the sign wasn't just given to people of faith, it was given to the children of people of faith. That's why we hold to our position on these things. We're not just making these things up. See, God is in control of Abraham's life and faith. There's no off limits. There's no no go areas. And God said, listen, I want you to give the sign to your children and to your children's children. Guess what he does? He gives the sign of the covenant to his son after eight days. No holding back. Brothers and sisters, this is how it should be for us. Remember, we are his. We don't belong to ourselves. We are bought at a price as we will shortly remember as we come to the Lord's table. And we are to serve and honor and obey him We are to respond, we are to live in a way that honors him. Now, verse 5, we're going to go down these verses quickly, we'll be here all night, points, verse 5 points again to the miracle, the supernatural child. Verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A miracle child promised by God, a miracle child provided by God. Every covenant child, of course, is a miracle child. So tonight... You may not think about it this way, but you are a miracle. In fact, if you're born again, you are a twice miracle. Physically born, miracle number one. Born from on high, miracle number two. And DRD, Dale Ralph Davis says, you're infallibly secure. I love that little expression. And every covenant child is a miracle, and they are infallibly secure. And on the last day, of course, do you remember what's going to happen? We're going to be raised up to him and for him. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Abraham's response was, 
to give him the name he was told to give and to circumcise him the way he was told to. Sarah's response, verse 6 and 7, was laughter and joy. You see, God generates joy. Obedience generates joy. God grows his fruit of joy in our souls. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, and patience. And so it goes on. The happiest people are obedient people. People who are obedient from the heart. And joy is contagious, isn't it? Verse 6. God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Joy spreads through God's covenant people. The Bible's very clear. You know, um, laughter is good for us. And Proverbs says a, a joyful heart is good medicine. And, and the reason being is the Bible's re, um, real. That life is tough. People are cruel. Sin is attractive. So let us, his people, be joyful in the Lord. And in verse 7, for the third time, the wonder of the miracle is spelt out. Verse 2, in his old age. Verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old. Verse 7, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? And she giggles joyfully. She giggles joyfully. Are you joyful? Or are you miserable? Of course, if I had to take a vote on it tonight here. Are you happy? Are you a smiler? Or as a grumpy face, your normal disposition? I'm not talking about based on circumstances, because I can tell you there's enough circumstances going on in your life and mine to make us absolutely miserable. Some of you more than others. I mean, I, I, I know many of your stories. I know me talking about being joyful when there's a hundred different reasons in your life for you to be miserable. I'm not talking about the circumstances around you. I'm not talking about your bank balances or your happy relationships or having a good job or that your sports team does well or a multitude of other reasons. I'm talking about the joy as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If we're joyful, let's, let's let our faces know about it. Not a kind of fault. One of the things I'm not looking forward to in the day of Harry's wedding, the only thing I'm not looking forward to is I'm going to have to smile for photographs. Apparently, I can't smile. I go to God. I put on this artificial smile. I'm going to have to practice how to smile. But I will be joyful that day as I see my son and his bride become one. But I'm talking about a joy in our hearts that spills out in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we worship. We yesterday buried Jean. One of the things I said about Jean was, you know, the way she used to interpret the songs with her hand movements. Was there ever a more joyful person, a member of our church? We're going to miss that. Joy. Because of the promises of God. I've gone off script there, so I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pull back. Joy in the Lord, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Be joyful, be strong, folks. Be joyful, be strong. Ask him for joy as you obey him. 
The second thing is that the pain uh, we see in verses 8 uh, to 13. Let's go down these verses. Verse 8, a great feast is organized as Isaac is weaned. That's when he stops feeding from his mom. Probably in these days, we're talking about he had been two and a half or three years old. That's the custom. So Ishmael, who's 13 years older, would have been 16, 17 years of age at this stage. Verse 9, Ishmael mocks and jokes about and ridicules Isaac. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. Now, we're not sure what this actually means. But basically, it seems as if this young lad, this teenager, was disdaining Abraham and his son, disdaining God's plan. Verse 10, Sarah has no doubt. Get rid of them. Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share an inheritance with my son Isaac. And verse 11, Abraham is in such a bind now because it's his son, Ishmael. This hurts him. And he's very reluctant. The matter distressed Abraham, verse 11, because it concerned his son. But listen to this, verse 12. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Husbands, listen to your wives. And I was expecting a reaction to that. (laughs) They're not infallible, but they're often right, even when they appear to be wrong. God says, listen to Sarah. And God says the promise is going to be fulfilled. Listen to what Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And in verse 13, Ishmael will not be forgotten. He will become a great nation, as we know he did. I will make the son of the maidservant, into a nation also because he is your offspring. And then we have the pain, verse 14, because Abraham, as he often does, as he almost always seems to do, is he, he obeys immediately, no holding back, immediate obedience. God has spoken clearly what he wants him to do. No delay, no procrastination, just obedience. Early next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Bathsheba. No doubt it must have been painful for Abraham. Yeah. The life of the pilgrim is often painful. Many of the decisions we've got to make are painful because they're going to disappoint or hurt someone. Following God, doing his will, is often costly, but it's always necessary. As um, some of the commentators says, in the aftermath of sinful decisions, as of course this was, as we will see in a minute or two, obedience is still required. So it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't even matter what you're doing right now. What God requires of you is Obedience. And that means, by the way, that as believers, very often, we don't skip along in life easily. But because of past mistakes, very often we limp along. 
And Dale Ralph Davis rightly points out that the pain of the is this pain in this section is the fruit of the sinful decisions of chapter 16, where Abram and Sarah, you may remember, get involved in a let's help God out plan, using Hagar to produce a son. Their sin, I mean, that was sin, their sin leads now to these consequences. And DRD says, sometimes when God leads us through or out of the circumstances we have wrongly arranged, there is no painless, ouchless way out. That's why I put those um, words up there. Many times when we sin, we would like it to be easily forgotten, just as if we cover up the sin and, and forget about the sin and forget about the consequences. But often... More often than not, there is no painless, ouchless way out. We like to have this idea we can sin when we want to and there's no consequences. And yes, sin will be forgiven, but the consequences must be faced up to. And yes, messy failures will be forgiven by God, but not always cleared up perfectly, not always cleaned up perfectly. And so that's why there's pain. But then thirdly, there's pity. In verses 14 to 21, verse 14 is very sad, isn't it? The, money, the water and the food run out. Verse 15 and 16 becomes absolutely hopeless. But we see the pity of God in verse 17. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. God knows exactly where you are. And God hears your grief. And he sees your pain. You've got to remember that. He knows exactly what you need. Because he's a, a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. And, and look what happens. Verse 18. The promise is reaffirmed to, to Ishmael. Let, Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And provision made in verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. So as one of the preachers I was listening to this week said, not just critical care of verse 19, but also ongoing care in verse 20. Critical care, water, ongoing care, verse 20. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer and later on got a wife, verse 21. See, God opened Sarah's womb at the beginning of the chapter. Now God opens Hagar's eyes to see that the provision was right there in front of her. The answer to her needs was right in front of her. She didn't realize because that's often for us, isn't it? We're always looking for some miraculous when actually the answer is right there. God protects Ishmael and helps him to mature and grow up. And what we see here in this passage and in other places in the Bible is the mercy of God for God's elect and common grace for the non-elect. It's the pity of God 
He makes the sun to shine upon the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends the rains to the righteous and the unrighteous. This is an example of grace. And we should be like that in many ways, showing mercy to God's people, showing grace to those who are not yet God's people. I think of those perhaps in your family or in your friendship circles who have rejected the gospel again and again. And part of you may be thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm absolutely fed up with these people. There's no hope. They don't deserve anything. And yet God shows pity, common grace to all, even those like Ishmael who do not know him. God shows pity, and God's people show pity. Tonight again, in a few moments' time, we're going to remember that moment in time when he showed us pity. Lastly, Providence, verses 22 to 34. Let's deal with this quickly. In spite of Abraham's fall from grace in chapter 20, which again seems a long, long time ago, the beginning of December we looked at, Abimelech clearly recognizes that God was with this man. We see that in verse 22. God is with you in everything you do, he says. And you know what? Abimelech just wants to have a good relationship with Abraham. And just as this is happening, you know, this kind of trying to build relationships, another cause of friction arises. Verse 25, then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. So a well of water that Abraham had dug and was his. Abimelech's guys, come along, take over. You can imagine, you can imagine the annoyance. But look at the way it was dealt with. It was dealt with simply and quickly and effectively. But only after Abraham spoke about it. Do we make mistakes here in this kind of area? Sometimes we just refuse to speak about a problem or acknowledge that there is a disagreement and we just feel hurt and are, 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 we feel insulted and very often, we, often with our pride and with our ego, and the result is misunderstandings arise, issues grow in size, feelings are unnecessarily hurt that we should talk to, friendships and fellowships can be damaged, and all because of a lack of honesty in dealing with issues. But Abraham did the right thing, and God intervened, and peace ruled. Now, to cut a very long story short, and you can read those verses again, a peace treaty arose and was signed. And here's what one of the oldest commentators I was reading this week said this. Under the terms of the treaty, Abraham secured a guaranteed supply of water for his flocks. He acquired a legal right to this well. And listen to this. And this was his first foothold in the land. His first foothold in the land. Do you remember what we said back at the beginning that the summary of the seven promises of chapter 12 were what? a son, and a land. God keeps his promises. And see how Abraham marked this, verse 33 and 34. With us, we, we will finish. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, is that how you pronounce that? <laughs> In Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God, 
And Abraham stayed or sojourned. If you've got an ESV, you'll see that. He sojourned in the land of the Philistines for a long time. As a response to God's gifts of that well, because remember, who, who arranged that? <laughs> the sovereign God. As a response to God's gifts of a well and a peace treaty, what does Abraham do? He worships the Lord. He calls upon the name of the Lord, the eternal one. That's a new name for God in our series. Eternal God, back to eternity past, forward to eternal future. And in verse 34, if you've got an ESV, you'll see that it says this, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. He was... He was passing through as, as a, a pilgrim. He, he was fragile clay. He was temporarily here. And so we have this contrast between Yahweh, the forever God, and Abraham and the likes of us passing through pieces of clay, because that's what you are. You're a piece of clay passing through. And yet we have the privilege of being able to worship the eternal God. We're made in his image. We're filled with his spirit after we're saved by his grace. So we call upon his name. And that's why I love that last little expression from DRD. He wraps your sojourning in his foreverness. I love that image of him wrapping his arms around us. Our, our frail humanity our weakness. He wraps his arms around us with his foreverness. We are going to live forever. This is what Jesus died to provide. And so we have promises and we see pain, we have Pity, we have provision. Aren't we thankful for the record of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael? But, as we conclude, there, there, there's a far greater story taking place here. Because Isaac, actually, is another crucial link to another baby who would be born. His name, of course, is Jesus. If you read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, you'll see that Jesus Christ is described as the son of David, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, and then Isaac, born of Abraham. So we're, he's part of a bigger story. And the story, therefore, is not about a wee cute baby called Isaac. The story is about God and his provision of salvation. Where Jesus was born to die. Jesus promised from the garden. Jesus planned from before the beginning of time. Jesus born and who died and who rose again and who ascended into glory and who will re return. That's who the story is about. And that's why we are thrilled that every time we look at any part of Scripture, we see Jesus, our Savior, 
our God. And shortly, we will remember his work on the cross. So as we leave this place, we have got a God who's made us promises. And yes, there will be times of pain because we live in a broken world, but we'll always receive his pity and always be the focus of his providential care. This is our God, and that's why we love him. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus we have a friend, a wonderful friend, a friend of sinners, a friend of the saved. And we pray that as we sing your praise, as we and then go to the Lord's table, that we will indeed recognize our wonderful Savior and our best friend. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.